man. And we're going to be talking about Guy Ritchie's films and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels uh, in particular. So, Jack, tell me a little bit about this film. It's yeah. Guy Ritchie's feature-length directorial debut, the first of a cohort of new wave of British gangster films that were very com- uh, comedy-based, they're hyper-violent, they're very, very stylish, and they're sort of a light touch on the gangster genre as a whole. They're not as gritty as something like The Sting or something like The Italian Job. It's more relaxed mm. and it's more approachable, I'd say. Mm. So with that, you have a bunch of young British talent, Jason Fleming, Jason Statham, Dexter Fletcher, Vinnie Jones as well, who mm. was very big at the time for being, a, as you put very eloquently, a gangster on the football pitch. Yeah. And now we're seeing this larger-than-life representation of a gangster on screen. So it's this very interwoven narrative between a a group of four boys that get themselves into some difficult debts after playing a uh, a rigged game of cards with a gangster, and they have a week to sum up half a million pounds. Mm. So it's their tale of dipping their toe into the underworld of crime and eventually walking away with no bother through a fantastic turn of events, very luckily, they manage to escape without any harm to themselves and uh, judging by the end of the film what you what you deem from that they uh, could even come out on top one of the things that surprised me watching it yeah with you mm. and the class really and watching it with a group was you know the the audience response yeah that you got the sense that people really liked it and it's an old film now we were saying it's like 25 or close to 25 years old right and here's this filmmaker that's really derided and yet here is this film yeah that still works and still continues to give a lot of pleasure yeah what was your sense of of the audience i think by and large the group did enjoy it Mm. so it was well received based on the discussion we had afterwards Mm. nobody really said they didn't enjoy it despite not being the deepest film it's not really a character piece it's not really yes. uh, an emotional story by any means mm. it just serves as being entertaining mm. and I think that's good enough and I think that's why a lot of Richie's criticism comes from where he's not deemed to be a thought provoking or an emotional or a director that challenges ideas he's yes. an entertainer and I don't think there's anything wrong with that A. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that and B. I think, um, you know, these, the way that people talk about depth in cinema is, to me, often very partial and sometimes wrong-headed, right? I, you know, I don't know if it was Serge Dany who said, you know, that, like, you know, uh, all the philosophy in cinema can be kind of uh, deducted from a traveling shot or something, right? That, you know, that sometimes depth in cinema is not coming from characterization or the plot or whatever it's actually coming through the style or you know and and, uh, and yeah or the formal mechanisms through which something is being shown mm. yeah or through the way a feeling is constructed through editing or yeah it, yeah kind of deep observations about I don't know time space society culture can come from just analyzing the significance of those things and certainly in Guy Ritchie films there's a lot of those things to think about. I mean, yeah, I'm not necessarily arguing, you know, that uh, the films have great depth, but I think if they do, that is where they lie, and it's worth thinking about that, right? Because 
that is the most significant aspect of the film you know that style mm. yeah don't you think it's supremely stylish i think oh it's super stylish yeah. it's uh i i personally think it's fantastic just because it's very playful and experimental in what it what it tries to do it's almost like richie's thrown out the rule book when it comes to how you should shoot a either a british gangster film or a film at all it's not like he's breaking continuity editing he's mm. just accelerating it I've, I heard a great quote about his his writing style where he uh, comes to a scene late and leaves a scene early. Mm. There's no fat on his script. I think it's... Mm. it. Everything he does is very efficient and everything yes. he does is very either high-paced or controlled in its pace. I think controlled in its pace is a very good uh, uh, way of looking at it because, you know, I like the way that he sometimes slows down a movement and then speeds it up, mm. right? Or speeds it up, yeah, and then freezes it or... Yeah, that kind of movement, right? And the effect of movement on the audience, because it's actually it's actually always expressive. It's never, yeah, well, I was going to say, it's never just for the sake of stuff. It's for the sake of the effect it will have on the audience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's often playing with audience expectations in ways that I think are really interesting, right? Because here the audience is an ally. It's not just someone you... Yeah, this empty receptacle that you throw things at, right? It's kind of you are working with your expectations of what the audio, how the audience will respond to this, and then you change it with that. I, yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting in the film. I like how the narrative takes twists and turns that you can't really see coming, that the characters couldn't perceive coming either, mm. and it's almost like you're just along for the journey. Mm. It's very interesting. It's mm. not so much of a of a crime film because there's no plot to solve. You just sort of go along for the ride it's a it is a crime film in the sense that you're dealing with criminals yeah you're dealing with an almost like cliched london underworld mm. yeah east end <laughs> specifically right you're dealing with stock characters from that from that world um there is a crime right there's lots of crime yeah there's, there's lots lo of crime there's lots of death <laughs> yeah and it does get resolved yeah we know yeah we end up knowing what happened in a way that is not you're always being led through it, so you're never at any point lost, mm. yeah. But you don't know the answer, like about the guns and yeah. So um, you know that's very witty the way that it's all done. I think mm. so. So I think it is. It is a. It is a crime film, but it might be um, enlarging our understanding of what the crime film is or changing it. Yeah, I think it certainly changed our view of what a British gangster film is. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So. I've heard it been called a uh, a gangster light, if you mm. if you if you would, where it's a uh, sort of taking the iconography, taking the conventions, and running with those as the starting blocks to create a story around it. It's not being a hundred percent faithful to genre, character conventions, or to uh, plot as a whole. Mm. It's more using that as a starting block. I mean, look at Vinnie Jones's character. Mm. He's he's a debt collector, but you know he has a he has a son which is his how martial it's his vulnerability it's his it's his tragic flaw in a way because mm. he's doing incredibly dangerous work but if anything happens to his son there's serious ramifications to that this is one of them high power jobs isn't it oh! got some bad news for you john what the fuck you mind your language in front of the boy jesus christ that includes blasphemy as well you know, when I think of like um, 
British crime films. I think of all those Michael Caine ones from yeah. the 60s, Get Carter, mm -hmm. yeah, and things like that. And that's one strand, really realist and gritty and kind of violent. You know, and then I think almost of, like, comedies, really. Like, you know, The Italian Job, which is really, I think, you know, a crime thriller. It's very patriotic. Uh, it's, you know, but really, I think the intent there is to elicit laughter. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but also it has action, like, fantastic, you know, set pieces. pieces yeah. yeah. And so on. Then I also think of things like Mona Lisa. I haven't seen Mona Lisa. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a spate of uh, kind of, you know, uh, gangster films uh, in the 80s. Um, but they were kind of like, I think, quite gritty, mm. really. So this to me is really playful and stylish. And it is set in a gritty East End, but also it makes it very glamorous, you know? It does, yeah. yeah. Um, Even though you've got the, from a formal point of view, from a visual point of view, you've got the sepia colour grade across the whole thing that makes everything look a bit dirty and washed. Mm. It's still shown by the characters to be a, in a, a decent place to be. And even though it's not the nicest place, they're still having fun there, still enjoying themselves. Yes. It's shown in a positive light, despite being potentially objectively quite grotty yes and i also think um it's it i'm really you know kind of I, I hope i'm not just making it but my impression is also one well one of the things that i really that really used to um annoy me about british culture is the way that it depicted working class people mm. right because so you know you'd be watching eastenders right and the sex bomb in EastEnders was really this quite average-looking, zafty, blonde actress. I forget what her name is, right? And I thought that one of the differences between, like, American films, you know, and, and British films is that in America, like, you know, uh, working-class people were beautiful or could be just as beautiful as anybody else, right? Like, you have Burt Lancaster or James Cagney or you know, John Blondell or Carol Lombard, they're all working class people. They're all, yeah, Joe Crawford, famously, like, you know. Uh, um, whereas there seemed to be like a kind of a class divide here, really, where, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, you have Vivian Lee and Lawrence Livy or something. Yeah, but then you have Barbara Windsor and, yeah. Uh, uh, and I thought, I mean, I'm probably grossly generalizing because, you know, uh, of course, you have like Sean Connery as Bond or whatever. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, kind of Bond is meant to be like an upper class yeah, person. Um, so I thought kind of, you know, British cinema both patronized as working class people, both visually and conceptually. Mm. But I think one of the things that uh, Lockstock does is, you, you know, you have all these great looking men wearing really stylish clothes and you know, kind of having like this wonderful social life with each other, like there's a real camaraderie and joking and... And the charisma as well. Yeah. You just have to look at the opening scene and it's it's punchline after punchline with Jason Statham presenting his stolen stolen wares to yes. people on the street and, you know, it's it exudes charisma and confidence yes. and I think it's fantastic to see that from a quote-unquote London geezer yeah. who's <laughs> now, now being celebrated for his features. He's not trying to be you know, he's not trying to be James Bond. He's not trying to be somebody he's not. He's yeah. being authentic to the class and where he came from. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Is this his first film? 
I think if it's not his first, it's one of his first. Mm. You know, and I thought it was very interesting that he is introduced selling things in a market. You yeah. Know, as you know, so like his persona, no matter what he does subsequently, is very much as an East End working class person. Yeah. And I think established by this film. And yet, you know, within that star persona, here you have like an East End working class person, and you know, he, it, yeah, he's very glamorous. Right, let's sort the buyers from the spires, the needy from the greedy, and those who trust me from the ones who don't. Because if you can't see value here today, you're not up here shopping, you're up here shoplifting. You see these goods, never seen daylight, moonlight, Israelite, fanny by the gaslight. Take a bag, come on, take a bag. I took a bag home last night, because me a lot more than £10, I can tell you. <laughs> For a while, he was the biggest action star in the world. And actually, it was very interesting because, you know, those expandable films, yeah, with mm. Sylvester Stallone and all like Mel Gibson and Arnold Schwarzenegger, all the big action stars of the 80s appeared in them. And the first two or three, it was very clear that Jason Statham in those films was set up as a successor. Mm. Yeah, so he was the big world international action star of the moment. And then you carry that on into what's taken a popular... It's regardless of how you think of it it's incredibly popular the Fast and Furious franchise where yeah, he is exactly, exactly. He, he's the main villain and he's you know he's not no he's a complete departure from what uh, he's presenting here in Lockstock and subsequently in Snatch but he's still he's still a tour de force in the action genre yeah this is his first film so he'd done you know three video shorts mm -hmm. but Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels is his first film you know and it's uh, uh, his first appearance is selling those things in the market. So I think that's a really like important thing. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of the first scene of arguably you know one of the the biggest stars of world cinema is yeah in this film yeah. So um, yeah, anyway, something to think about really. Uh, and there's a real eye for the casting, isn't there? Because. You know, Nick Moran and Jason Fleming. I mean, this is now 25 years ago, so, you know, not everybody had, um, you know, the career that Jason Statham does. But, I mean, you know, these were all significant figures in their time, along with Vinnie Jones, mm. you know, and this combination of casting actors and also uh, People from other areas of life, stars yeah. in pop culture as well. You've yeah, got, you've got Sting as as the protagonist's father, JD. Yeah, so kind of casting sports people, pop stars. Yeah, and they, you know, they function great in the film, don't they? Mm. Yeah. They don't. They don't distract, which I found was very interesting. They just sort of play the persona that you expect to see from them, yeah. and then that make it fabulous, make it larger than life, make it bigger. You know, yeah. I mean, you've got the governor who's was labelled the hardest man in Britain, playing the hardest man in Britain. So there's not too much to leave to the imagination, yeah. which is fine because it's not servicing anything greater than the style and yeah. what's, hap what's happening on screen. The style is worth thinking about. I mean, you know, kind of people brought up really interesting things in the discussion, I think. Mm. Yeah, kind of what did you take away from that? We, we touched on quite a lot about parallel action mm -hmm. and how you'd have almost three or four things happening at the same time all in different spaces and Richie cuts between them mm -hmm. almost to build to a crescendo that always seems to finish the second act so mm -hmm. everything's going either going really well or really poorly and then that all comes together in sort of this one big mess this big cluster mm -hmm. 
that ends in a complete fallout and a complete mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that pretty interesting because if it was a Hollywood film, you'd follow the protagonist and then a lot of the action would happen either in another scene or off screen. I don't think it would be intercut in that way. But by doing that, you build a certain sense of pace and a certain sense of tension, even though it's across different times and across different spaces. It yeah. all comes together very cohesively. And I think the editing in that is very good because it creates rhythms across the four different stories or mm. bits of action that kind of communicate with each other whilst creating these spaces that actually help construct tension. Mm. Because, you know, you move from one space to another, just as about you're about to find something out, it cuts to something else, right? And then you're returning to it, which is a way of, yeah, creating pace and tension mm-hmm. around the action that's happening. Um, I, I really love the way the, the, the film films its action and the way that it narrates its story and also the tone. Yeah, the, it's, it's, it's satirical. Mm. It's a very British type of humor, yeah? Uh, and it does so not only um, verbally, but also kind of visually, I think, yeah? Yeah, there's a certain rhythm and cadence that is not only interplaying between the actors on screen, but also with even even some of the more violent parts. They do read as somewhat satirical and humorous. So mm. uh, the bit that springs to mind is when the the four real gangsters go and rob the, uh, the drug house, and they try and... They're stuck outside of that cage, and they're complaining about being shot, but mm. in a way that isn't grotesque or violent they're just moaning about it in a very British way Mm. I don't know if that would land as well if it was from a different culture or Mm. if it was a Hollywood film or an American audience I don't Mm. think that would be included Mm. but because it's being true to itself and true to its roots you get that British very masculine lad Mm. banter Mm. that is prevalent throughout the film yeah it's a very laddie film and I don't mean that you know as a criticism yeah um but it is, uh, you know, there's one woman who plays a very significant kind of role. I thought that was very witty, the way that she's used. Um, but it is, you know, a very laddie film. I think it's unapologetically so. Uh, I don't necessarily see why one should apologize for it, right? Uh, it is kind of, you know, very t- playful. It's about male friendships. It's about, yeah, it glamorizes all of that. It kind of, it also uses kind of, I don't know, laddie aspirations, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, to, uh, you know, being a hard guy and crime and, yeah, uh, so, so, I, I thought it kind of, um, it was much better than I expected it to be, mm. better than you remembered, yeah, because when I remember, when I first saw it, I got the playfulness and so on, um, but I also thought other people were doing the same thing in more interesting ways, you know, primarily like Tarantino. Mm. Uh, Whereas I think over time, you realize that actually very few people do it as well, yeah? Um, And as I told you, I keep seeing his films on television and you, you know, you say, oh, I'll just watch five minutes and, you know, half an hour later, you're still kind of, yeah, involved in it really. just could be because I'm shallow and I have bad taste. I mean, I'm not uh, making any great arguments here. But I think it's, you know, it's not every film that does that, right? It's not every film that's just stylish. I think, you know, I think he's somebody who's due for a rethink. Yeah, I'm not saying that, you know, 
once you look at it closely, you'll think he's the greatest filmmaker ever. Yeah, but that actually that his films continue to live a quarter of a century after. Mm. And they're still held in very high regard, despite being low budget. His yeah. first film as well, which I think is amazing. People conflate his the digestibility of his films and uh-huh. how easy they are to watch and how pleasurable they are to watch and how entertaining they are with a filmmaker that lacks, lacks substance. Uh-huh. And I just don't think that's the case because he's making very, very clear decisions about how his film looks, how his film sounds, and the style of everything put together. And I don't think there's many other filmmakers that can do it that successfully. I want to just here raise, you know, this distinction about substance. Like, what is substance in cinema, right? Like, you know, you always hear this thing, oh, dying is easy, comedy's hard, right? Comedies are rarely attributed depth or substance, even though, you know, all of the great ones have it. Mm. I think there is a, a, a difficulty in criticism being able to adequately account for depth and subtlety and success uh, in a comedy, right? And I think it's true in action, right? I think it's true in musicals, right? Like, uh, you know, uh, I've often used, um, you know, when Richard Dyer talks about musical numbers, right? And he says that people think musicals are banal because they're, lock- they're looking at it in terms of plot, right? But if you look at the musical numbers, right, kind of, you know, what you can read into them is like community. You have people right, coming together, uh, you know, kind of uh, a transparency, like they talk their heart, right? Like, you know, and he goes on and on, right? And I think that's an argument that you can make about action, right? So if you look at action, in terms of the way that the action is depicted, the movement through space, the, the grace of movement or not, or you know, the violence of, of it, it's telling you something about the culture, right? It's not telling you through plot, right? But it's telling you through action, yeah? The, not all action is the same, yeah? Uh, different types of uh, depicting action say different things. Uh, and likewise, I think, you know, with comedy, yeah? It's not just that it's funny, but how is it funny, right? And what is it funny about, right? Those are things that really matter. So I think there are ways of looking at these films through a kind of a slightly different lens, yeah, that kind of may account for why they still work so well, yeah, a quarter of a century later. Now, Jack, you're using Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels as a kind of a way in to a project, right? So, you know, do you have a sense yet of what that project might be? Um, very early in the development of this project, it is only uh, week one that we're recording this podcast, uh-huh. but um, I'm pointing myself in two different directions at the moment. I need to walk down one, I'm not sure which one yet. So uh-huh. I'm either going to use Lockstock as a jumping off point to talk about Guy Ritchie and kineticism mm-hmm. across his film. So how he displays uh, movement, how he displays action, how he creates cadence and pace, not only through his editing but through his dialogue. Um, or I'm going to take Lockstock as an example to look at the British gangster film and how it compares to uh, things before it and things after it and how it differs. So I'm not too sure which one I'll find success in. I'm not really sure what this video essay project will become. I'm more leaning towards looking at Richie because I think he's horribly understudied. Mm-hmm. I think he's only used as a footnote or a brief mention most of the time and needs something I'd like to explore it more I think he deserves deserves a bit more depth to him so 
Okay, well, thank you very much, Jack. Kind of, that's uh, really good. And I look forward uh, to seeing what you eventually uh, come out with. Uh, so thanks very much, Jack. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we are the first uh, 2022 uh, Practicrit uh, podcast. Uh, there will be many more to come. So thank you all very much for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you.